everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. So we were about three months pregnant with our first son when we got in this big fight because Ashley was pregnant. Ashley was pregnant. As, as a first-time dad, I, I had just been experiencing the process. It, we, we really struggled to get pregnant with our first son. Um, and so when it happened, I mean, it was not lost on me what was going on. Uh, but also, as, as a guy, and this will be a guy story to get us kicked off a little bit today, so I just want to acknowledge that. But as a guy, it's not happening to me. Like, Ashley's experiencing things in her body. She's experiencing flutters. Things are changing. She is actively having a baby. And I'm over here picking my nose most days. Like that's, that's the most I'm getting to experience with this pregnancy. And we get into this fight this one morning because she's like, it's, I, how are you involved? How do you want to do this? And I'm like, I don't know. Like it's not, I, until I'm holding him, I don't know how to participate in this. And so we had continued uh, to fight. And I, I had some friends who were like, dude, dude, you know what you need? You know what you need? This is like classic, like 20, 30-year-old guys. Like, we've got the solution. You need to buy her a body pillow. I was like, okay, great. It didn't, it, it got me like just an inch further down the field. But it's like, it's, I'm not, I don't know how to participate. And as we continue into this process, we're doing what you do when you're getting ready for your first baby We've got to get a whole room ready. We've got to find a whole bunch of new stuff to like house and hold and take care of a baby. Like there's a lot, what a racket. What a lot goes in to a new baby coming into the world. And one thing that I'm noticing as we're going around is apparently you need these things called changing tables. Um, and I'm gigantic. <laughs> so for me, the average changing table is like down here. And that's, that's not working. So as all of these conversations are blending together, this light bulb comes on of, you know what? I do want to participate in these early stages of this kiddo's life. And the way I'm going to do that is not by housing him inside my body with miracle upon miracles. <laughs> the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to build this baby a, a dresser with a changing table on top that is tall enough for a large human being. And so I began my work. I, I would stay up late at night, and all of a sudden it began to dawn on me, this is what Ashley's been feeling and experiencing, this anticipation of something that's to come. I am an active participant in getting ready for something. So I start drawing up these plans. And uh, I, my, my dad is a really good woodworker. My grandfather is an extremely good woodworker. And so I know right away, I can take a shot at this on my own, or I could call the pros, and I could learn some things as I go here. So I call my grandpa, because he has this massive shop up in Estes Park. Now, I grew up with my brother when we were little guys ourselves, like sneaking into grandpa's shop and just marveling at all the tools. I mean, the smell of sawdust to this day is one of the most magical scents in the world. And it all comes from wandering around his shop and touching tools that I didn't know what they did and just admiring the things that he would make and create and give away. It was magic. And now I'm getting to call my grandpa to say, hey, can we build this dresser for my son together? Because this is how I want to participate in, in getting ready and, and anticipating his arrival. And so we start to work. Um, and 
I don't know uh, if you've ever worked with a master craftsman in any craft. doesn't matter the craft, a quilter, uh, a brewer, a woodsmith. When you sit with somebody who is a master at what they do, their level of intent with every piece of the process is so instructive. I mean, there's the measure twice, cut once mentality, but my grandpa would be, we'd be pulling in wood and I'd make one line on the measuring tape of like, here's where I want to cut. And he goes, hey, you know, actually what I've learned over the years, and instead of making a line, because sometimes you can get a little bit off with that, if you put your pencil right on the piece of wood and make one check mark this way and one check mark that way, then you've got a V and then you know exactly that's where to cut. And sure enough, my cuts all of a sudden were so much tighter than they used to be before. I didn't know how to finish a drawer. Like, how do you make a, the inside of a drawer stick together? Like, glue apparently isn't the right answer <laughs> for something like this. And my grandpa owns something called a dovetail jig. And the drawers that we put together were gorgeous. I mean, so tight, so strong, bomb-proof, perfect for a Krieger boy, right? And, and as we're assembling all this together, I, I'm not just receiving and going out and buying a dresser and a changing table. I mean, I can tell you every part of that table. I can tell you that the four legs that make up the main base are actually three pieces of one by three oak that have been glued and then biscuit jointed together to make a super strong leg. I know that. And I don't know that because I'm awesome. I know that because my grandpa said that was the best way to do it and he knows what he's doing and he taught me that. And I can't tell you how exciting it was. Like, thank you, Ashley, for inviting me into the process and to consider what would it look like. Because when he arrived, I cannot tell you how proud I was the first time I changed a dirty diaper, which how many people can say that? <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. When you sit with a master craftsman, you learn a lot. When you do something with them, instead of just buying something from them, you know that thing. When it's given, that's great, but when you've been a part of the process, you understand the craft, the intention, the heart, and in spending time with the craftsman, you also learn to understand the craftsman. Who is he? Why does he do the things that he does? What's his heart, and what are the things that he really cares about? I understood my grandpa more after this project was done. We're launching into this series still on the book of Acts, and I think to set us up for what we're going to dive into today, it's a pretty wild piece of scripture, but I want you to hold on to this image of a master craftsman, somebody who may be saying, hey, come into the shop with me. There's things that I want to teach you to do, but more importantly than that, I want you to know me, and I want you to know my heart and what I'm about. So as we recap a little bit of last week, Jesus has just left his students, his disciples behind, and he's given them a very clear mission. Go to the ends of the earth and share this message that I've given to you. And then 50 days go by, which if you're paying attention to the story, if there's a business leader who's leaving the business to the rest of his family and they don't do anything for 50 days, you're at risk at this point. Mission drift, crumbling, we're losing accounts, things are not going well. And while Jesus is not in a business, you don't let things sit for 50 days. That's dangerous. What is going on in this story? It's so human. Because I think what we can begin reading in right away is Jesus leaves this massive mission to his students and they freak out. 
And I can identify with that for sure. And that's where we're going to catch up to our text for today. We're in Acts chapter 2, and we're just going to start by reading these first 13 verses. This is how it goes. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds and power. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're all filled with wine. Pause. This is a weird story. There should be so many things that you're like, what is happening right now? Like, can we just address for the second that we've got floating tongues that look like they're on fire? Heaven is trying to French kiss somebody, and that's really weird. That should cause you to raise your eyebrows a little bit. It's intentional, but if that doesn't right away cause you to sit back in your chair and furrow your brow, keep reading what's going on here. There's some other things that are going on here. Uh, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? You've got a whole crowd of people, they're all Jewish, and they're listening to a handful of folks all of a sudden just speaking in multiple different languages. And when they say, aren't, aren't all these people Galileans, really what they're saying there is, these are all folks from the backwoods of West Virginia. <laughs> how did they learn how to do this? Most of them don't have their teeth, and you can barely understand what they're saying in our language to begin with. How are they speaking Cretan? How are they speaking Pamphylian? What is going on? Like, and and the, the explanation that seems to be at least in a plausible one is they're probably drunk. There's something incredible about these folks that's going on. How is it that they're able to speak? And 11 different languages seem to be going on, at least in what they've listed here. Probably more. What is happening I want to draw our attention to one other question that we should be asking because we just got introduced to a pretty important character to the book of Acts, and his name is the Holy Spirit. We saw him right at the beginning, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. This is one of those characters when it comes to Scripture that, at least for me, I get a little edgy and tense about because I think Oftentimes in my story in different places, whether it's personal encounters or things that I've seen way far away from me, this character can get abused pretty weird. What's going on with this Holy Spirit? How, how am I supposed to understand the Holy Spirit? This particular character in this particular story has given the ability to speak in other languages, and that is strange to me. 
But the interesting thing is this isn't the first time we're introduced to this character. He's actually been there the entire time. Last year, we spent a lot of time in the book of Matthew, and the Holy Spirit shows up in Matthew several times. We see him when Jesus is baptized. We see him at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. In fact, for the students of Jesus, John 20 just captured a moment where Jesus breathes on his disciples and is breathing the Holy Spirit into his disciples. This scene has already actually happened. Which, just to put a pin on that, it's important that there's a process to understanding the Holy Spirit. In John 20, Jesus' students, the disciples, they had an encounter, they had a moment. But it wasn't like the flipping on of a light switch where it's all of a sudden like, oh, now I've got it forever and, and I don't have to struggle with it anymore. It seems like now we're picking up again in Acts 2. It's being given again and again and again. And I, I just want to point out two things. In this process, God just seems to be so relentless. He just seems to want to participate with us through this Holy Spirit. That's amazing. And the second thing is this. These people don't get it the first time. It takes repetition again and again to understand what it is that God is up to. So if you're somebody who's been sitting in this room, or maybe this is your first time, and you found yourself at different points in your own life, like, man, I don't know if I get this anymore. I don't know if I know what's going on. I just want you to know you're in fantastic company. I would go so far as to say you're exactly in the process where you're supposed to be. It's what we see here. Now, I think as we look at this character of the Holy Spirit, it's really important to ask the question, what is this character up to? It seems like a big deal, and it's pretty intimidating as we look at all the things that this Holy Spirit can do. And it's super important to remember that at this point in the book of Acts, we are very Jewish in the story. In fact, I think you can just begin reading in. These are only Jewish people that this story is addressing. And there's a really important piece of context that this piece of scripture just gave us, especially if we know that this is a bunch of Jewish folks, to understand what is this story actually about. And it's in that first line. When the day of Pentecost had come. What is the day of Pentecost? Well, this is actually a Jewish holiday. Uh, and when we begin tracing it all back, a whole bunch of things start to align, like the last click of a Rubik's Cube where you go, oh my gosh, this story is gorgeous. So what is Pentecost? Pentecost is a celebration where Jewish people would come in from all over the known world at the time to Jerusalem to celebrate this particular day. That's why as we're getting to the end of the story and people are hearing this story being told in all these other languages, that's why there's so many different languages because people have flown in from all over the place for a conference, for a celebration. What are they celebrating? Shavuot is the, name, is the Jewish name of this holiday. And Shavuot is something, we had a sermon about a year ago um, in our series called Party On. So if you want to understand a little bit more of what's going on in Shavuot, you can go back to that. I'm going to sum it up very briefly here. Shavuot is actually one in a series of holidays that happen if you're Jewish. And it all points back to the book of Exodus. And here's the story in Exodus. God has always cared that the world is a messed up place. Always. And from the very beginning, he chose a specific group of people, the nation of Israel, to be the ones he wanted to partner with to begin the healing of the world's broken places. 
The problem, as we get into the book of Exodus, is that they've been taken captive. They've been made slaves. And so as God enters into the story here, he is rescuing his people. And it begins with a very important Jewish holiday called Passover. Passover happens on a Friday night. And what happens on Passover? Well, in Exodus, you kill a lamb. And you put its blood over the doorway of your house, and then you leave the place of slavery where you've been. In this story, just to begin aligning some ideas, on a Friday night, a few days before this event in Acts 2, a lamb has been killed. And he's provided a way for us to walk out of a land of slavery. And his name is Jesus. That's Passover. Shavuot begins on Sunday morning. Sunday, here's what happens. Uh, it's, the first, it's the festival of the first fruits. This would be the time, if you're Jewish, in a very agricultural society where you would bring the first harvest that had come. You'd planted seeds probably two months ago, uh, and, and you would begin harvesting. Now, this would be barley. Barley would be known as the poor man's grain or the poor man's bread once you'd baked it. And, and this barley would be brought to Jerusalem for these Jewish folks that are celebrating. But in this story, after Passover, we see these Jewish folks wandering around in the desert for a a series of days, 50 days, actually. 50 is the root word of the Greek pent or penta, Pentecost, 50 days later. So this celebration of Pentecost is pointing back to this time of Shavuot when Israel is being taken out of the land of Egypt is wandering, but is really, it's this time when you read the story where God is saying, look, I have always intended to be your partner in helping the healing of the world. This 50 days, we are going to spend time to get to know each other. We're going to determine our relationship, how we work, and then I'm going to give you the plan on how we're going to go about doing this in the world around us. And Shavuot ends on this 50th day, this day of Pentecost, with this incredible story where Moses, the leader of Israel, goes up on a mountain, has a conversation with God, and he comes down the mountain with these two stone tablets that have the Ten Commandments on them. It is God's declaration not only of this is how our relationship is supposed to work, it's God's declaration of this is how we put the world back together. This whole story, this whole celebration of Shavuot all along, all it has been doing is pointing God's people back towards his intent. I want you to join me in the healing of the world. So as we catch up to our story, Jesus has died on a Friday night. Jesus has been raised on a Sunday following, the first day of Shavuot, the first day of the first fruits. There's so much that's going on there. 50 days after that, Acts 2 happens. The day when the tablets came down, when God said, this is what our relationship will look like and this is how we're gonna go about healing the world together. That's what's going on in Acts 2. That's what they would be reading. Because it ends with these commands, these are instructions on how we're going to do life together. Now, Again, to catch us up, in Acts 2, Jews have come from all over the world. They've brought their harvest. They're here to celebrate the fact that God has given them instructions on their relationship and what to do. That's what they're expecting. And all of a sudden, a rush of wind. It fills the entire house. Divided tongues as a fire appear among them, and the Holy Spirit comes into people. 
This is a dramatic retelling and an improvement on a story that had happened an awfully long time ago. And for a bunch of Jewish people who would have been in the room, their expectation would have been, oh my, God's doing it again. We're back on track to who we were always supposed to be and how we were always supposed to be doing it. God's got us back in the workshop. He wants us to learn his heart. He's not just giving us a religious system. He's not just handing over ways to do things. We're being invited to experience doing life with him. And this is profound. And so while this is still a very Jewish story, here's where our stories begin to come in. You are invited, no matter what you believe, no matter what's been done to you or what you have done, you're invited to belong to this story. And this story is a with God type of a story. God is still concerned about the broken places in the world. He is inviting us to join in that healing too, but not alone, not on a solo mission. He's inviting us to do it with him. And you might be wondering like, okay, great, what does that look like? Am I looking for a floating on fire tongue? Like what's the next step for me? And as we read in our text, I think we get a really good picture of how they were going about doing this. We're gonna catch up now at the end of Acts 2. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. How are you supposed to participate with God? What does it look like to join him in the workshop and to watch as he works? How do you actually do that? I was on a date with my middle son, Deacon, yesterday, and we go through a little devotional together, and we stumbled on this question. How do you listen to God? How do you actually do life with God? It just seems so mystical. Like, what are the steps? And I think we just hit him here. If we could recapture what those few verses we read really are saying, it's actually really simple. They had an intent focus on scripture and the person of Jesus. They spent time together. And when you examine that time, that time was spent, frankly, eating and then talking to God together, prayer. And the third thing is that they practiced generosity and gratitude. I think I want to be very clear as we read this book of Acts and as we engage the Holy Spirit it's not always about these ecstatic experiences of tongues of fire and speaking in different languages, although sometimes it is. The invitation is the same to you and to me as it was to these folks. Start with the basic ingredients and then see what God invites you to do. How do you do this at this day and age? I think there's a couple of simple things. If the invitation is, Intently focus on scripture. Welcome to what we're doing this morning. Check, check on step one. They spent time together eating and praying to God together. 
How do you do that today? After second service, I'd love to invite you to hang back. We're having something today called Feast and Finances, where we're going to spend most of our time eating together, talking about what's going on in the church, and praying. Beyond that, we have things called life groups that you can get involved in. And this is just a midweek, it might be every week, every other week group that gets together and we talk about the sermon or a book or a study that we're doing and we eat and we pray. We, we're doing this to this day. And, and I think too, if you're like, that just sounds like a lot, my invitation would be this. What would it be like to spend some time around, spot somebody who you go, man, I just really respect them, how they carry themselves and invite them out for coffee. And just ask them about their life. Spend time with each other there and let those things lead into these main ingredients. What about getting involved with one of our local partners? You spend one night volunteering for Nightlights and you'll experience a bit of God's heart, guaranteed. It's just these basic ingredients over and over and over again. Now, I don't want to sterilize this passage either. There is no doubt that these actions are building blocks. But I want to be very clear. We believe in a God who does the incredible, the supernatural, the amazing. This up-close encounter with him is just the introduction to this new member of the Trinity. And we're going to see as we go through the book of Acts, and I will tell you from this stage we believe in a God to this day who is still actively healing physical bodies. We believe that you can actively hear from God as a human being. We believe that things can be spoken prophetically. We believe those things. And we believe that those things are the natural outcome of spending time with God. We've been seeing that the God with life, uh, we've been seeing Jesus spend time with God in these last several years of ministry for him. And now, as we catch into the story of Acts, there's a really big problem. Because Jesus has been spending time with God and has been sharing that with his students and with us, but Jesus is now gone. Is our connection to God gone as well? I think we're seeing in this story that God's answer to that question is absolutely not. I am restoring everything back to the way it was supposed to be. God with us, Emmanuel, was not just a person. He was a doorway. God is with us now through Jesus, and we can encounter him directly. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, you are invited. And doesn't it just ring true? Doesn't something tug on your heart no matter what you believe that compels you that the world needs healing and that there's something in you that can be a part of it that's there because God put it there because you were designed for that and in this story we're seeing for one of the first times that we are being invited back into the family business that he had always invited his people to be in let's heal the world together but it's how he does it that's mind-blowing he doesn't just give a list of tasks. He doesn't just say, here's what I want you to go and do. He says, I want you to know who I am and I want to know you. This God wants to be with you, to teach and to direct. Like a master craftsman, this Holy Spirit does not just stay at a distance and shove to-do lists out to the rest of us. He comes into our midst 
and with a wily grin on his face says, I want to do this with you. Watch how we make a measuring tape and we're gonna, we're gonna do it this way because it's better. I'm gonna show you how to take things like oak and how to make the best leg possible. I wanna show you what it means to spend time with another person over a coffee and have meaningful conversation that leads to prayer. I want you to understand the gravity and the beauty and the wonder of opening up scripture with a handful of friends and spending time really seeking to understand what's going on there. I want you to know my heart and I will be with you as you seek it. It's beautiful. I'm gonna bring out the band as I just end with a couple more thoughts. I think so often when we read the Bible, we get stuck in the Gospels. And I want to be very clear about a couple things with this. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is who this story is all for, and it's who our lives are all for. But I also want to be clear about one other thing. Jesus opened us up to something to keep, and to keep staring just at Jesus versus actually paying attention to what he was doing would be a tragedy. It would be like watching a master craftsman from across the room with your arms folded, hoping that you can see the gift store at the end of the tour. Don't get stuck in the Gospels. Don't get stuck just watching Jesus from a distance. Keep reading the story. It's all about Jesus, but at making it all about Jesus, you're invited. You're invited to take the message to the end of the earth. If that sounds intimidating, you're in good company, but you're not supposed to do it alone. You're invited to a relationship with God. He wants you to understand his heart, to experience creating and healing alongside of him, to know the heart of a master craftsman. He doesn't want to give you the kingdom of heaven. He wants you to experience it. So join him on mission. Study the word, and in particular, the story of Jesus. Spend time eating and praying with others. And give away what you have with a grateful heart, trusting that God will provide. Seeing and mending these broken places in the world, who gets invited to do this? Well, the first in line were these 120 people that we met last week who have been a part of this story. These are the folks who deserted Jesus at his greatest time of need. The part of Acts 2 we didn't read today was a prolific sermon given by Peter the guy who betrayed Jesus three times right at the finish line. So who gets invited to be a part of this? Is it the perfect and the cleaned up, the ones who've gotten it right? I don't think so. It looks to me like you're wanted here and I'm wanted here. People who are messed up, who don't have it together, people who also need healing. Folks who would say, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, you belong in this story. Let me pray. God, thanks for the wonder of this story, that you don't just leave us alone, that you don't just tell us what to do, that you send commands from across the universe and expect us just to work. Thanks that you're the type of God who says, I want to be in it with you. In fact, I want to be in you. I want to be guiding and directing and teaching. I want to be in your midst as a community. I want you to know me. 
as we go through these days and these weeks, particularly this series in Acts, help us to see more and more your heart. That we can not just understand what to do, but why it matters. And in it all, that we would have lives that we would say, I do my life with God, and he does it with me. It's in your name we pray. Amen.